Dynamics Radio. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Dynamics Of. I'm your host, Jake Leach. Today on the show we have Delia Rainey, someone I've known for a very long time, and is a MFA candidate at Columbia College of Chicago in the nonfiction department. We discuss uh, various websites that were kind of used as creative tools from Zynga to Twitter to Tumblr and now Substack and how they've kind of influenced generations of writers, um, not only in medium, but also culturally. Beyond that, I really appreciated Delia's time as I kind of rambled a bit in this episode, trying to ask her every novice question I have about uh, the nonfiction space. And uh, it was just really fun and exciting to talk to Delia as someone who I view to be very much in the forefront of this medium, but also just as someone who really cares about expression, I feel like, if and cares so much about her community, definitely make sure to look in the show notes to find all of her links, especially to her new Substack, uh, her Twitter, and as well as her His music. Computer, yes. Here's the episode. And we're good. Thanks for listening. Okay. Hi, Delia. How are you? Hey, Jake. <laughs> I'm, you I've know, I'm good. You're good. Good. I um, I've I've started every podcast episode with me asking like a question and then immediately laughing really loud. So everyone that's noticed this, I'll probably make like a super cut of me doing that because this is just what I do, and and I think it's my Midwesternness popping out or something. But um, it's very well, endearing. Thank you. I hope so. I, I hope people aren't completely annoyed by it. Um, so what we were just talking about on the other side, and I was like, oh, wait, I, we have to talk about this on the show. How's your day going? How are you today? It's it's been a great day. Yes. I got vaccinated. Wow. This morning. Vax number one. Okay. Pfizer. Ooh, you got <laughs> I, I, I do love that there seems to be, at least in my somewhat inner circle of friends, that uh that Pfizer is kind of considered the like bougie shot for some reason. I think just because it's two tiered versus one. I mean, they're all free from what I can tell, but yeah. you know, it's, but it, it, it it's did everything the evil go, one. This is true. Yes. So I guess <laughs> bouginess they're, and evil. They're do kind greedy. Of go. They don't want to give their Vax recipe out to the rest of the world. Yeah. But whatever. I just showed up and that's what they gave me. And it, there's are. a nice, there's a mass Vax site here in Humboldt Park mm. in Chicago um, that's just really accessible. Like anybody that lives in the neighborhood can sign up Fantastic! and it was really easy and simple. Wonderful. So our yeah. friends in Humboldt park that listen to the show, which I'm sure is a lot of you come through, come to Humboldt park. Um, <laughs> I had, and we, this will be my last question on the subject. We can move on. How was your, uh, how, how did it go today? Like, how was your experience getting in and out and everything? Like, how do I, do I have any side effects? Are you, are you feel how are you feeling today? Yeah. How are you feeling after? I feel fine. I mean, I, I was like, you know, the arm is sore, but I get, it feels just like the, like a flu shot arm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. I, I think I was just like kind of running around today and it's, it was really hot. Yes. And it's like, there's a lot of my mind. Like I turned in a draft of my thesis to my advisor today Wow. And like everyone's voting for Tashara Jones yes. in St. Louis today. Mm-hmm. 
And so I'm like, pardon me, I'm like, am I really lightheaded from the backs or is there just like, is it just like a wild day? It's a you wild know? day. I, probably mostly a wild day, probably a little bit, maybe the shot. How is your 5G on your phone? Is it, is it off the charts right now? I haven't checked. <laughs> That's the right answer. I don't want to know. Um, yes. No, we, we feel the 5G flowing. We have the hack scene in us. It's great. We love it. Yeah. Um, yes. So as part of the recording date, it is uh, April 6th, Tuesday. Uh, people hopefully in St. Louis are voting and voting for Deshara Jones. That is the official candidate selection of Dynamics of Podcast. So, and assuming D- Delia Rainey here. So, um, <laughs> we, uh, so, okay, I have like six different ways I feel like we can go from that. Um, but this, this idea of uh, you turning in some sort of thesis C thing today, how, what, like, that's probably been, I would say the most like current thing that's happening right now, since you're like in school, you're teaching and like that, like, so what, what exactly transpired today of, or whatever you can share about it? Well, excuse me, I guess I, I've had, I just, I have a due date in a couple of weeks for this thesis. And so I'm going to meet with my advisor one last time to kind of like tune up a couple of things. Um, it's, it's weird. Cause I don't want to like talk too much about it because I guess I don't really know why I've, I've been kind of like in my head about like, do I want this to be like a secret project or <laughs> it's, I mean, little pieces of it have been published out in the world, but, um, it's basically a, an essay collection mm-hmm. memoir and it is composed of a lot of essays that I wrote throughout the MFA. And then at the very end, there's a new essay that I wrote um, this school year and um, that I just finished like a couple days ago or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, And it's like a hundred pages long. Wow. So, um, and the whole, the whole thesis itself is 200 pages and that's what I did. (laughs) So uh, for those who aren't as familiar with you just yet, uh, you are a nonfiction MFA, I guess, candidate in that space right. at Columbia College of Chicago here. Um, so I'm curious, is that like the biggest work you've ever made? Is this like the heftiest, largest thing that you've created? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it is the longest thing I've ever written. Um, and I, I, I don't think I would have been able to complete it if I hadn't have been in the program. So that feels good. I mean, some, you know, sometimes you're, you, you're throughout like being an MFA, you're just like, is this worth it? <laughs> like, <laughs> could I just be making art at home? Sure. Like for free. And well, I'm actually, I have a full ride, but you know, it's fine. Um, hey, that's right. But <laughs> I think it was worth it because I created this. It's, I mean, it's a manuscript. It's like pretty much a book, you know? So it feels pretty surreal. Well, and I I feel like in that situation too, because like being in an MFA program, I don't know anyone across any uh, subject matter has, has not necessarily like to be an MFA candidate is to have wrestled with the concept of the MFA in general, but then to take from it, like, not just, I imagine the immediate experiences of people that you've met and people that have touched you and you've touched. And then on top of that, like 
I'm forcing you, this MFA beast of a person, whatever metaphorical thing is telling you like, oh, now you have to make work and you really have to make something like that. I don't know if, would you think you would have ever made something so big just completely on your own? That's what I'm saying. I don't think I would have. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, I don't, I don't know if I, it's, it's really, a per, it's really personal. Like it's a super personal piece because I, I went through some really personal stuff mm-hmm. right when I started the program with, um, my dad's health. And mm-hmm. so I just was writing about all of that constantly. And I, and maybe I would have been writing about it anyway, but I think it's just like having the, the deadline of, of, Hey, you have a, a 20 page essay due um, on this day or whatever, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And because of that, I just have a lot of, I just accumulated so much work. So I don't know. I feel like now I'm like an ad for MFA, like go to MFA, you'll accumulate so much work, (laughs) but seriously only go if, if you are going for free, otherwise it's not worth it. That is, yeah. I mean, I think that makes it pretty, pretty straightforward in that regard. Um, cause yeah, I, I think that like having those kinds of uh deadlines and like frankly like face to face or you know during this time zoom to zoom i guess like uh accountability that you have to have not just right. to yourself but then also like you have students you have to teach you have to like mm-hmm. space like do you feel like that is going to be like kind of a even a subconscious implementation into yourself going forward after this program yeah i mean I guess it's like a writing is, is a, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Like writing is so solitary, mm-hmm. like, but it is, it is all about relationships with others too. And I've just had this thought recently that like, I don't know if this answers your question at all, but like when I like been spending all this time writing this thing and now it's time for it to be read and shared. And that's going to make what I wrote feel real. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I, and being an MFA, you do have this like set audience, like my professors and my cohort. And I was, you know, subconsciously like writing for them and wanting to please them sometimes. Yeah. So like, and there's something good and, ba- and bad about that. For sure. Well, and I I mean, I think there's kind of, I guess what comes to mind when you're saying that to me is like this idea of like, who is my current audience? Who is my contemporary audience? Like, um, you know, what, no matter where you may find yourself in life, like either the certain piece or like I, my friends at this time were kind of more interested in this stuff. So I don't necessarily inherently like I must make pieces so they get it, but like you might unknowingly do that you know the the people that you surround yourself with but then in Mm -hmm. a professional and academic space too um have you wrestled with that like meeting that I mean we're talking about that obviously but like how have you dealt with that in terms of I want to be like the solitary writer but I also want to meet the moment of my MFA cohort and students because I'm in this space now like are you asking like have I struggled with writing for myself versus writing 
for other people's expectations or? Yeah, I guess so. Cause it's like, I mean, the MFA is supposed to be all about you, but then I think what a lot of people forget is that MFAs then also have to like be TAs, you know, right. and they, they are still very public facing and maybe even more so than they ever have before. Like they are accountable to teach too, most of the time. Right. Um, well, what's so cool about that is that I got really, I've gotten really good at editing other people's work hmm. and like because I'm all I've been doing the past two years is like editing like marking up people's papers and like you know reading students work but also reading my peers work and like critiquing them in workshop and, and that's just like a like half of maybe even like most of the work I've been doing you know um. So like being able to look at other people's work critically is really important skill in order to be a better writer yourself, you know? For sure. Well, and I guess kind of wrapping up this idea of like where you're at with the MFA and like how you're almost done here is that like, um, I am not a writer <laughs> by, by trade by any means, but I am naturally finding myself- You're good at writing. Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. I feel like in the last like, six months to a year or maybe especially since COVID I've just spent a lot more time like drawn to writers like people that are willing to share kind of the depths of their opinions and and not necessarily like in terms of reviews but like in terms of nonfiction or even if it is pieces of fiction that like what that unearths for me as just a as someone who's frankly I feel very new to the world of writing in a uh I guess as something that I could maybe be an extension of myself of, of putting out in the world. Like I put out like one <laughs> Tumblr post or something recently of like, how does it, you know, like if for nothing else, like my own a version of like the opinion piece or my own version of the think piece. And like, that was a strange place, but like nonfiction specifically being so, I don't know, like just personal for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I, I mean, honestly, even getting prepared for this interview, like I have like 18 tabs open right now. And there's like, I have all, all these different examples of your work that I'm excited to talk about, but there's certain spaces where I'm like, this is a recorded space with like your human voice being recorded, you know, with audio. And uh -huh. I, I'm, I'm curious, like privacy. I don't know. Like how have you uh -huh. dealt with privacy, especially now <laughs> being in the space of like, I am accountable. <laughs> Privacy is such a fun topic. <laughs> I really did not care about privacy for the longest time. I just, as, I mean, for, for anyone who doesn't know, I've known Jake since I was um, a teenager and um, we both had Zangas yep. and so did most of our people in our friend group. And we were all just going bucking hard on Zanga, writing our, like, talking about I don't I, I you know what I really need to get my Zanga mm. files back yeah. from them you can like ask them for it and you'll download it on WordPress for it for you I think I did not well anyway that. it was just a really like emotional like emo poemy <laughs> yeah. over overshare right yeah. um and I've always been into that shit um, I, I love it. And, um, I just, I just, and then I, after that, I also had a Tumblr that I posted writing on 
And in 2014, I did a poem every day project. Um, and then in 2020, I did another writing every day project on Instagram. And I think for the longest time, I kind of felt like um, the world is big. Who the fuck is going to care <laughs> about what I post on the internet? Nobody's going to read this. Like, I, th- I, don't, I don't know. I, I didn't really wasn't thinking about like, oh, will my future employer see all this writing about, I don't know, love, lovesick poems of, or like even just, I, I don't know, but I never, I just didn't really care, I guess. Mm. I, I'm still struggling with it if I care or not, because I really don't want to care, but I'm starting to care a little more as I get older. Um, I have a chat book that came out in 2018. It's through a mini, mini chat book series through ghost city press. And, um, I read it recently, reread it recently. And I was just horrified. (laughs) I was like, this is so fucked up that I, that this is public. Like this is so personal and, but I don't know what to do now. It's like, it's out there. So yeah. I guess I just kind of have to um, pretend like it doesn't exist. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> and now everybody knows I just talked about it. Yeah. But, um, don't go find it, everyone. Pretend you didn't hear that. I'll, I'll bleep it out or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about privacy though. I guess I just, I, it's, a, it's, it's um, complicated because for me, I, the best nonfiction that I like to read is extremely honest and vulnerable and talking about things that people don't talk about. And that's what writing, um, that's, that's what writing is for, right? To feel connected to someone that you don't know. You're reading their words and they're talking about an experience and you can, you've either had that experience too or it opens your mind that that experience exists. Um, well, and yeah. so if, pe- if people don't write about their experiences, you're pe- then other people will literally never know that those experiences exist. Right. And so for me, sometimes I'm just like, well, fuck privacy. Like, I just need to write about this. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's hard because, <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I feel like it's, for one thing, like, okay, you know, Delia Rainey is a writer. She's a nonfiction MFA. Like that is like almost like a, a shield, I feel like in some way too, of being like, if someone read this piece and was like, this is deeply unprofessional. We can't hire Delia for anything. It's like, well, no, like she's an artist. And then it's like, oh, okay, for sure. And then also I would hope that people, and I don't mean to say that as like an answer, but as like, a, I guess like a hope of like, maybe that's the way it would be interpreted so like people that were like artists like yourself or myself or whoever that would be like oh my god I can't believe I said that out loud I can't believe that that's real I can't that like people can at least put it through the lens of like this is an art this is an art piece right. this is probably mostly true because it feels real and it feels like honest but there has to be something about it that like isn't fully true because like I mean just right. I mean, this this is maybe unnecessarily meta or something it's like us recalling our own memories is maybe not actually even exactly the way that they were or Mm -hmm. exactly the way that was intended in the first place. So us 
naturally have skewed it. So that's like a sense of, that's like one level of privacy. It's like, did this person actually remember it to begin with? Like, did you have a bad day that day or something? But then I guess beyond that, like, I've, I've really heard this concept of privacy is an issue of the middle class. And mm. this is, and this maybe is a little out of left field a bit, but like rich people are so rich that they're not worried about it. Mm. And poor people have never had it to begin with. So mm. this idea that like, as we ascend in levels of income, that only privacy and things of that nature are, are important to us as we kind of get to stuck in that middle ground, whatever that may be. And I'm not mm. trying to associate that, but I'm, I'm curious too, like, as I guess through artistry and as we get older and I guess, presumably make a little bit more money that these spaces might change too, that you kind of have to meet the ends within the middle quote unquote middle class, which we all know technically doesn't exist, but we get it, whatever we're moving on from that. Like, I don't know if that's ever been part of it. It's just like, I'm an adult now that feels like I'm getting older. I'm moving up. Like it's not just so much. I've looked back on my old work and I've cringed. I can't believe I said that, but like, I'm more accountable, I guess, to other Mm. younger people, maybe like, is that like the wealth that we're creating or putting in ourselves? Uh, This is a huge (laughs) broad statement. I hope you've picked something out of this insane word cloud I've just produced, but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on those things. Yeah. I guess, wow, the privacy is only an issue for the middle class. That is so interesting to me. And that's not my original thought. I don't know who said that. I have to find it out. And if I figure it out, I'll put it in the show notes or something. But it's a quote nonetheless. I'm going to be thinking about that yeah. for a while. <laughs> um, well, I guess um, I was kind of thinking about how, um, so when you say, something is nonfiction, like, even though it's different than, than writing a poem or writing a fiction story, because there's no shield, there's no veil there. Like people, fiction writers and poets write about their, their selves all the time. But there is this barrier where you're like, oh, well, that's the poets, that's the, the poet narrator, or mm-hmm. that's my character in the short story. But with nonfiction, there's no barrier. It's like, that is legit me and my thoughts so it's um however I like but there is this idea you know that it's it's not you know my real life it's like my written how I wrote it 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 is it's it's the art you know yeah and there is that separation um and I really you know I've completed this like big ass document recently (laughs) right and so like I'm really excited to get to this place where I can kind of separate myself from it and just view it as like just a piece of art instead of like these, you know, sad or crazy experiences or thoughts that I've had, you know, it's like, I, I need a little bit of separation from it soon, I think, but I don't know. I've kind of forgot where well, I was going with that. I, yeah, I think I guess what I'm getting to though is like any form of art because it's under the guise of art, even if it's you know under this term nonfiction that I'm currently struggling mm-hmm. to figure out like a music or other visual medium that's equivalent to that. I mm. guess performance art because it's physically used well, flesh or something, but documentary. Definitely. Yeah. There okay. Well, there's that. Um, well, actually, let's just take a quick side here and and I'll just say. 
uh, for the 101 folks out there that are like, what the hell is nonfiction? Let's, uh, <laughs> how would you define that? Or how has that been defined to you as your understanding of what that means? Nonfiction is so badass because it is so broad. Mm. Like, non, you could say like the dictionary is nonfiction, you know? Uh, like the, like non, like there's so many things that are nonfiction, but I guess you could, but nonfiction is, is just, you know, truth. That's basically it. But truth can obviously be in other spaces, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it's not that it's limited to the nonfiction realm. It's kind of, you know, it's like true, false, baby. Whoa. (laughs) Shout out Como. Shout out true, false film fest. Okay, y'all uh see you in may i guess that's when people are going or got pushed um, to may i don't know yeah we'll see it's probably drive-in i think i heard anyway um so i because i just yeah i outside of i don't know just nonfiction as a concept is so exciting to me as someone who's extremely mm-hmm. novice to all of this but um it is i think i'm gonna just allow it to be water in my hand and i'm not gonna try to like capture it in this one moment live and well, just kind of understand <laughs> If you want something more tangible, I mean, I could kind of tell you how I, what I like to read and write, like the type of nonfiction that I like. Um, I'm interested in nonfiction that is kind of a combination of kind of this, I like, I like nonfiction that has elements of memoir and overshare Mm. And that like leads me back to, you know, that Tumblr space in a way, but also combines that with, you know, maybe like cultural criticism or philosophical stuff or historical things and archival things, research stuff, um, and just kind of making, like, I like, I really like collage work. And I'm a huge documentary nerd and I love it when I'm reading something that feels like a documentary, you know, visual, you feel visually in a, in a space, um, and just like place into someone's world or somewhere in history or whatever. But, um, yeah, I like, I, my, I've been thinking about this a lot. My mentor, Jenny Booley, who's my, my thesis advisor, she told me the other day that the plot of my writing is my thoughts. And I was like... <laughs> okay, I, fo- I had to follow the sentence, but yeah, got it, for sure. I was like, that's so... I don't know. She says, she's, she's got some good one-liners. <laughs> the plot of my writing is my thoughts. Yeah. Wow. Well... And so (laughs) just before we like, I think this is going to start diving into the work more so itself. Um, You are listening to Dynamics of Podcast. Uh, Our guest is Delia Rainey. I did not do this at the beginning. I'm realizing and we're only like, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes into this. So there's that. (laughs) Uh, I have known Delia for about 10 plus years now, which is so hilarious to me because I. A little more than years. More than 10 years for sure, because I don't know if I've been as like, we, I just feel like I've always been at like the perfect arm's length to stay in touch at like at these like spot points Mm -hmm. along these over 10 years. Um, And like, there are people I've been like much closer with that I'm not close with anymore. And it's just been really neat to be like, 
I'm going to reach out to Delia and see if she wants to do this. Cause I just really think where you're at in this moment, um, something I feel like I'm doing on this Twitch show that I'm part of called art brunch, uh, on this mm-hmm. channel called the travel agency. What's been really fun is talking to certain visual artists in their MFA programs. Um, so like <laughs> capturing these moments of like, we're all kind of young people and obviously people of all ages can do MFAs, but like, where are you right now? You know, like we want to talk to you like while you're in your second year or in your first year. And like, what has that meant for you? Cause I feel like so many people end up hearing recordings from like people who are like well into their careers mm-hmm. and well into these spaces. But then like with you and I, like I can talk to you about high school, which I won't bore people with, with minor details, but like we have such a broad swath to, to pick from. And I, I, I have a few ideas in mind and we'll, we'll keep people, you know, We'll keep the privacy, you know, that we're looking for that uh, anything that isn't already public facing. Um, So I think like, I like to start too with a lot of these interviews is like, where are you now? Like this moment, not just like, tell me who you are in general. Um, So for instance, I thought we should start with your most recent thing. Uh, I think that's like happening right now is your Substack that you just come out with, which I believe there's only like one or two posts on right now. But I feel like with even what we've talked about so far, um, your most recent piece called Fragmented Ritual, which came out on April 2nd, so about four days ago. um, I mean, to me, having known you for so long, none of these pieces read to me in a way that it wasn't like, oh, Delia's gone off totally off the rails in this totally other direction that felt extremely familiar to me of your work. But there's like, this is extremely you. Like, I don't know anyone else that writes like this. And mm-hmm. I, I think like this, is, I, I'm, I'm working on my ability to talk about people's work without qualifying it. So bear with me here. I feel like what I'm enjoying so much about it or what I'm noticing is just like the micro and the micro moment and the micro moment, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. explained in such a way that feels like, I don't know, like freed in a way from like, it's, it has just the right, all the amount of like beauty that it needs to have to be beautiful writing that people like wow this is this is full stop but it is also so approachable to where it feels like oh I can read this stuff I can enter into this world of nonfiction. I can enter these spaces and be a part of it as a as a reader because that's exactly how I felt reading it I was like I I feel real new to this stuff you know how can I enter this and I just so I just want to say first and foremost it seems extremely approachable while wholeheartedly maintaining like I think a, a standard that you're looking for if that makes sense and I'm, I'm curious if that has been part of your uh, writing habits in terms of like being approachable but while still maintaining like an affirm attachment to like this the standards you've set yourself as a writer well thank you for saying that I really um, value that my work can be accessible and that people who don't you know, read a lot of stuff or aren't, you know, don't read books of essays <laughs> randomly, you know, <laughs> yeah. can just like uh, look at this and, you know, get some something out of it, right? That mm-hmm. means a lot to me. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I really, it's, it's kind of just like my style, I guess. Like I don't really like to use, I think I've been trying to use a little bit more, but like, I don't like to use too many like big words in my writing. I don't like to to write, to stray too far from how I actually speak. Um, But I like that you said micro stuff because, well, obviously in that last um, 
I keep wanting to just say it's a sub stack, but it's kind of just like a blog. So it's like right. the last blog post, you know, right. I was grappling with the idea of fragments because when I started the sub stack, I just immediately started um, writing in the list form. And that's what felt most comfortable for me to just start generating ideas. Um, and then I just wanted to interrogate that more, like, why am I so drawn to, um, you know, just making these chunks that move so quickly? And I think part of it is, you know, short attention span culture and me being impatient. <laughs> I don't know. No, for sure. No, but, yeah. Um, well but I also really like um, making just the activity, the practice of making different things connect with each other that I may not have thought would have connected before. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I'll, I'll do what um, the girls on Red Scare do, which I, I love when they always do. They always say this, like, I'm going to read a piece from uh, a little bit from your own writing. So you don't have to, because we like to do that. <laughs> and I always love when they say that, because I feel like that's honestly like decent journalistic work. So, I mean, I think like Fragmented Rituals, the most recent piece, the first, uh, I mean, the first chunk, it's literally labeled number one. And the very first sentence, like little couplet or space, I don't couplet's not the right word. Uh, I'll just quote here because I feel like it's exactly what we're talking about. Um, it says here, writing in fragments has always made sense to me. I don't know if it's because I'm an impatient person. I don't know if it's because I was born a fragment. Identical twins were once an idea in one egg sac, then splitting apart, fracturing, fragmenting into two eggs to share the container. So obviously you have a twin sister, Hannah Rainey. Shout out. We love her. Um, like that in itself too, I think like so this is like a fragment of a fragment of a fragment, right? And mm -hmm. I, something I'm, I feel like I'm seeing more broadly in culture is that we're getting into the micro, 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 micro scale, everything that like mm -hmm. everything is getting smaller, 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 and not just like iPhones. We're talking about like ways to uh, pay people money, you know, whether that be the, mm -hmm. you know, often brought up NFT or if it's like uh, OnlyFans or if it's like, the sub stack or if it's whatever you know spin the wheel of options but this way of being able to give people just a little bit and to be able to support in just a little bit i think is mm. kind of the future whereas like so you're i think you're meeting that moment with these kind of compacted spaces and i think i think you're innately working towards like i know how i read and i think like how other people read which is like i just need chunks so it like makes mm -hmm. it accessible but if you look at this whole piece, it's huge. Like this, this one piece, I think, right. I mean, it has, it has eight parts. So that seems huge to the average reader. And then there's this beautiful photo here at the, at the bottom um, of kind of like some castle images. Uh, and I, I assume this is kind of found in like an alleyway. This, yeah. This print series. <laughs> By the dumpster. So like this piece itself is actually like pretty fucking big in like Instagram standards. Mm -hmm there's tons of writing and there is one big picture, but the way it's set up and I'm looking at it on a desktop versus like an iPhone, it feels like, you know, like just like maximal versus minimal, despite you talking about minimalism. So like you have these, these discussions and these little broken up chunks, you know, this is one through eight little paragraphs about kind of moments in a neighborhood kind of walking through town and um, little moments you saw. I, there was one, that I saw that I love so much that was about like crying. <laughs> um, 
I guess it was uh, the man was walking slowly with his cane, uh, with his back outlined with the silver brace. The woman next to him was holding his hand. I cried because people are supporting each other just walking. Like the simple act of walking is so beautiful. Like that moment is feels so small, but there's like, there's so much there, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to stop talking here in a, a moment, I promise. But like f- dealing with the fluctuations of this, the miniature and increasingly getting smaller, smaller to also presenting it in a maximal space to you literally making a, a 100, 200 page manuscript. Like mm-hmm. how are you dealing with the kind of the stretch of the times of, of your writing? Well, when I was writing that fragmented piece, I was almost going to talk about this, but that I didn't, but it, I was thinking a lot about Twitter mm. and this, how Twitter is really fun because you only have, you know, certain amount of characters that you can create your statement. Right. And my brain kind of works in Twitter, like world now, everything. Sometimes I'm just thinking of a funny joke and I'm like, it's like a Twitter joke. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And oh, so like, absolutely. I, I have a whole thing about just, this. I have a question, but yes, keep going, please. I'm like in Twitter, my mind works as Twitter, but I, it's not a good place for, I mean, it is a good place for thought expansion, but I think I, I'm really into the idea of instead of having this like, you know, small little space where you can say what you need to say I I think it's important to have a really big space where you can just keep going and going and going and going yeah um and so I that's kind of why I'm I'm it was kind of hard for me to do I was even you know when I was posting my writing on Instagram it was hard because I would post screenshots from my Google Doc Mm. and um and sometimes if I didn't want like my mom or my grandma to read it, I would, I would post it like extremely small. So like, it's like <laughs> you had to try really hard to read it. But anyway, I, <laughs> I, um, it was just even that, what, can you only post like 10 images on, on the Instagram posts? Yeah. Um, that's limiting too. And so I just kind of wanted, it's, I think visually it's more appealing on Substack to see the piece as one long you know it's like a a building of the bricks you know absolutely and yeah I, I I kind of did learn this in MFA I didn't used to write things that were super long um but my first workshop with my incredible mentor Jenny Booley she was like okay everyone write you know tw- 20 pages and I don't think I'd ever written just straight up written a 20 page essay (laughs) before for a creative writing class. Um, so it was kind of daunting. And, and then now it's like, that's just kind of like the norm for me. I'm like, Oh yeah, I can do that's yeah. It's just, I can just keep going and going, going if I need to about literally anything. So I don't know, but yeah, it definitely, I don't know. Um, what did you, did you have to say something? Yes. No, no, no. I mean, that's, I, I, I welcome very open and discussion here. So we don't, we don't need to make these like big elaborate points, but I think there is so much amazing stuff we're talking about. Um, I mean, I think to some degree, a lot of what people, especially creatives, regardless of your medium, when someone asks you, and there is kind of that somewhat pressure of a professional or academic space of like, 
I need you to make 20 pages. And if you don't, mm. there will be a bad grade. Like, I think there is a lot of benefit from that space. And thankfully, it seems like your mentor is like this incredible person as often people, you know, tend, hopefully tend to find in their MFA programs. Um, but like, what I think feels so subtle to the average person that everyone's like, well, what, what the hell is the difference between like, I mean, couldn't you've done the Substack posts in Facebook? It's like, well, yeah, but then, the, it's, yeah, there's that slight culture difference of like, no, like the fact that like, I think on, on Substack, like, I guess people can like it and they can, mm-hmm. make, they can write comments, I guess, but maybe that's only if they're paying for it or can, can, I'm, I'm actually pretty new to Substack, so I probably should have done this <laughs> little bit of, uh, yeah. So I just went to go. I'm new to like. it too. Yeah. So I, I clicked like, and it said, sign up to like this post. So I can't interact with you unless I pay for your Substack, which I plan well, to do. Well, it's but, free. Okay. I'm not, I'm, at this point in my life, like I'm not asking people to pay Okay. for my work. I just don't really, it's that accessibility thing, right? Like mm. I know that if I put a price point on there, um, people aren't going to click on it. <laughs> also, it's just like, that's not why I'm doing it. Like, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not, the project isn't about making money. It's Mm -hmm. about, it's, it's kind of an accountability project. I need, I need something to do. I need something to, if, if I'm, so I'm the type of person where an audience does motivate me. And Mm. if I know people are going to read something that's, then I'm like, Oh, I have to write it. Right. Um, whereas I, you know, it's not as alluring to me to just write something in my Google doc and close my laptop and it's done. You know what I mean? Right. And so that's kind of why I started it. Um, and Substack is cool because it's just like, there's a bunch of famous writers that use it. Like I saw like Roxanne Gay as a Substack and mm. like, um, you know, I, I don't follow very many people on there, but my, one of my favorite writers Ann Boyer has, is just has the most amazing Substack posts. Um, her most recent one is about, well, she, she's a Gen X, but her most recent one is about early internet. Mm. Um, it's incredible. But anyway, but then like normal ass people like me who aren't famous at all can also have a Substack. Um, I just think it's really neat. But yeah, I, I don't know. I forgot what I was saying, well- but. I think the, like the, the, the way it chooses to frame the world, like what elements they provide and what ones they don't. Like, I feel like the, the culture behind it, despite it, it, like we're kind of used to going to a second tab to see something like Twitter feels very like, I see it in my timeline. I like it in the moment Mm -hmm. it's there. Whereas like, I think people are missing this sort of, I I guess, maximalist, if you will, internet where like, I love tweets and i feel like twitter is like one of the very few social medias that a has endured and b actually was like way ahead of its own curve this idea of like these fragments these moments because i mean you look at a tweet as a screenshot that people share to instagram and then when i go see that and i see that tweet in my real timeline later i'm like i'm like oh it's that thing and it feels like an object that's like tangible Mm. which i think is extremely strange for so many different mediums like for instance i feel like you know if there's a like a meme attached to it that it feels like oh that's not like the it's, that's not the screenshot that's like deep fried like that's the real one that's like in like beautiful clear twitter space and then when like writers like yourself 
And I think particularly the way that you tweet, it feels very, <laughs> this is a whole complete thought and it is out in the world and we get to interact with it. Cause like how often mm. do you get to like interact with your thoughts with everyone that can experience it them passively? You know, mm. like I previously, it's very much like I have this thought and I said it at you, this person. And like, I actually have like 10 more thoughts. And it's like, I don't, I can't take this in real time, but you can tweet 10 thoughts and someone can go yeah. and click each one and just kind of sit there and look at it and really think about it. And I think that like, I imagine as a writer, that's like a ton of freedom. And also at the same time, like you can only do it in 280 characters. Like you mm-hmm. have to be somewhat limited with that. And I, I think that's something initially like probably in like 2010s or something when people were, you know, our age, were getting like into Twitter sort of. And it was I less had, characters then. Right. It was 140. Exactly. So like, <laughs> like, do you view your Twitter as kind of like a instrument sort of like as like a, a separate vehicle for a certain types of tweets? Cause I, I, or types of writing, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, sometimes I, I go on Twitter and I start writing something or I use Twitter kind of as like a draft place where I like think of a really good sentence or idea or thought. And I just, I tweet it. And then, you know, sometimes I'll look at that tweet and I'll be like, fuck, I just need to like go to my fucking Google doc. You know, what am I doing here? (laughs) Yeah. I think it's like, I'm trying to get validation from people, see if, you know, they're into what I just thought, you know, but yeah, my Twitter voice is interesting. I don't really know. It's di- it's it is different from totally. the voice that comes up in other pieces of you know uh, more like this is my creative writing or whatever. Um, I don't know. It, it's Twitter. Twitter is just like the tone of Twitter is mm-hmm. like sarcasm, like clown world sometimes, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I think I get a little into that. And then also um, sometimes I do like to tweet just really wholesome, vulnerable stuff too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've kind of been stopping myself. I'm like, man, this this isn't in my fucking diary. Like no one needs to know Mm. what I ate for lunch today, you know? Yeah. Which I think is so funny that you (laughs) mentioned that particular example because that is like the absolute classic social media statement right it's like what do i need social media for do they need to know what i ate for lunch today but like that's true it's very stereotypical but but some of the most like i think thought-provoking and enjoying and like enjoyed what am i saying on twitter can be that simple can be that dumb or quote-unquote can be that like you know just run of the mill because i think like maybe that's just like typical like well we're getting into the weeds with all this like discourse about stuff and we're canceling these like weird characters called like bean dad or something that like i don't even know what that is but then like you know over here someone's just like you ever just have like a turkey sandwich and it just like literally changed your life and it's like that tweet can feel so good and be so good and i it it doesn't need to be anything more than that because i think we're all just seeking this like camaraderie than like yes mm-hmm. during covid but like even before that like right i just i view twitter as like an instrument i view it as like a very serious space to do mm-hmm. every whatever goofy thing you may want but like when i create a tweet like i kind of will go back and look at it as like a painted object of like something i went through and was like 
did I do that right? Okay, is the spacing good? Like, is my grammar right? Like, I got that. Yeah. And, you know, and just like, it's fun. It's fun. It's a creative. It's like you're chiseling a little sculpture. Yes. And I'm, and I don't mean to try to make it more than it is too, because I think we can also use it in a space that's like, what the hell is just happening today? I don't care. Like it, it can be just like the newspaper and it's just, it's fine. Um, yeah. I just, I do want to mention though, I think you are very much using the the thing, the way that it sounds like you feel that you are. So I just want to confirm that like your voice on Twitter feels like an extension of, but a different voice than that of like your sub stack or something. Cause I, mm-hmm. I do think there is something like, I always look forward to one of your tweets, frankly. Like I'm always like, Delia always has something like fun to say that feels good to hear that like took some real thought and like the way it was set up was really nice. And it's just like, here's a, like a little treat basically. And even if it's about something like terribly sad or about something like super ridiculous, you know, I just, I think we need to give Twitter more credit. That's all I'm saying. As a I do. I thank you. That was sweet. I, <laughs> I love Twitter. I've been saying this year, sometimes I feel like I just wish there was a button that I could press on Twitter that just changed my feed to just my like dear friends. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, your feed is full of people that you don't even follow. Yeah. Or just like all of this crazy shit. I also follow like 2000 people or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just, it's just too much. It's too much mm. stuff. When you scroll through it, sometimes. I mean, it's a little normalized in my brain now, but I do sometimes just feel like a crazy person. Yeah. It's so much information. Right. And it, I, I'm also with you and also like you that when I, like, I follow like a ridiculous amount of people on Twitter compared to like how many followers I have, which I know is really important in the Instagram world, I guess. But like the weight of that many followers for some reason doesn't, doesn't, doesn't hit as hard. Whereas like Instagram, like, like who the hell are half of these people i don't know why or who these people yeah. are whereas on twitter it feels like i think because it's such an honest extension of a lot of folks even if it is performative it doesn't feel so like you're forced to write words so what are you gonna say you know you can't just post like a tiktok with you doing a little dance you can't post an instagram with like your mm. photo it's like i mean you can post photos obviously but like you have to kind of write we're expecting you to say some words like mm-hmm. so what do you have to say and I feel like that's what Twitter kind of like keeps people honest in a little way, even if they're also being it's, increasingly more dishonest. <laughs> it's totally, it's totally, it, it, it's totally a form of nonfiction. It's, yeah. I mean, I always think, you know how there's like Twitter memes. Like I was talking about this because I was talking about Hannah's viral tweet about that was a screenshot of phoebe bridger fangirl yeah do you know what i'm talking about i do know about the one yeah um so there was that meme twitter meme that was like r.i.p blank famous person you really would have loved blank yeah and to me i mean it's kind of like um mad libs or whatever but it's also you could think of it as a creative writing exercise and that's what all twitter memes really are you know somebody says something funny and then we all have to you know twist it into our own funny thing and that's basically what a creative writing prompt is you know so you're saying when i make my dream blunt rotation meme that that's (laughs) actually a practice of (laughs) yeah 
uh, of creative writing and creative uh, art practice in general. Yeah, because, you know, in a lot of a lot of art is just like remixing other people's art anyway. Totally. Right. Well, I do want to take that moment of speaking of like memes and viral spaces uh, just to very briefly state, like, I think you have gone viral at least once or twice. And I only <laughs> state that because like, A, it happened and B, like, I, I'm sure that there are connections that have been residual from that that have maybe felt good, bad and different. Like, I've had some extremely brief interactions with folks who are like, quote unquote, viral on Twitter. And I feel like even if you have like 3,000, 4,000 followers, like the way you act from like 800 or 1,000, like just a jump from 1,000 to three to five is like kind of life-changing in a way. And I, I don't know, I, I, I will say I did research, but I'm not going to actually admit that I, I looked at what your total is and that doesn't matter. But I'm just wondering like, have, have being in that space of like, having a tweet quote unquote go viral and whatever of capacity, like have there been stranger connections made or good? Like what's been your experience with that? Um, I don't know if this counts, but a couple weeks ago I was, um, I was interviewing for a social media job okay. and I, I didn't get it. And it's, it's all, it's, it's fine. But <laughs> um, it against I was like, <laughs> it was like, right. You know, I was going to be rent. It was actually running um, like the Twitter account of a podcast. It's like a really tiny little job, but I was mm. interviewing for them. And I was kind of like saying like, well, you know, if you've seen my Twitter, <laughs> you see that I, I, I was like kind of like insinuating like I just went viral this week yeah. with my Yola Tango tweet. But yes. anyway, um, I don't know. I can't really say if, if like having viral tweets has any like I think I had that one viral tweet um several years ago about like donate your ex-boyfriend's gear to your yeah. local girls rock camp and I think maybe I saw it one time reposted like you said like on like an Instagram screenshot oh, like wow. somebody was reposting it on some meme <laughs> Instagram page that just has tweets on it what the fuck is that shit I don't anyway, know. I um, hate that so much but yeah I don't think it really affects my life. It, it's it's definitely huge, like, um, you know, it's kind of like a fun little ego boost for a little bit. For sure. But, and it's it's all, the only reason why I've ever gone viral is because I have a couple of followers who are famous people. Like, you're yeah. not like famous, but yeah. like, you know, Molly Soda retweeted me. Wow. Or Darcy Wilder, mm. I think is the one who, who retweeted the old Tango tweet. Um that's really it, man. Like, yeah. it's not like, it's, it's all, it's all luck of the draw. It's just like, if you know, it's, it's classic. Like if you know the right people, then you can get in right. kind of thing. Well, and that's the goofy thing though about it. And that's why I bring it up. Not to just be like, what's it like going viral? But like, <laughs> it, but like beyond that, like, well, okay. What does that mean? What does viral mean in 2021 versus like 2010? You know, it's yeah. not like a little rainbow nyan cat on the toaster, you know, going like this. Like, it's like, I actually was, I was able to like meet some other writers, like some other writers followed me. Cause I had this tweet about yeah. Yola Tango or about camp girls rock. Like, so the space of like, it's actually kind of like worth investing in because how many people do you have? I, I can't tell you how many people I've like looked at a viral tweet, looked at them. And I was like, well, who is this? And then went mm -hmm. to work and be like, oh wait, this person's like really neat. Like what is, and then I'll follow them. And I have literally zero connections with them. 
at all. Mm-hmm. And like maybe two or three people that I follow, follow them. And I'll just like hit follow every time because I think like that's kind of the, the position I've wanted to push my Twitter of like, I want to gather connection and have this really broad net. And I think that's what like the viral tweet space is kind of headed towards. It's like, who else do we need to listen to? Who else do we need to meet? Who else do we need to follow? Because I want my universe to be really big, not just because mm. we're competing for like cloud or something. Mm. Or maybe that's just me trying yeah. to like rethink it to make it feel better <laughs> for how much time I spend on Twitter. But um yeah, I always hope that Twitter interactions um, translate into real life things for me. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. I, I've always had that like dream, like if I ever, you know, did if I ever do publish a book, I, if I post my book on Twitter, somebody will be like, oh, that's that girl with that one tweet. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look into this. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It, it's just... Who who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Right. And I think like, I mean, at any given time in America or in in history is like, oh, that's that girl from like the, 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 you know, messenger boards in the nineties, you know, that's that girl from Facebook, you know, 2006, like it, like it does just kind of put on a new hat. I guess I just think that like, for some reason, Twitter feels. Or like famous MySpace people. Famous MySpace people. Do you ever have like a friend who was a secret famous, like MySpace person? I, I sometimes this happens in my life like you Um, find out later that they were famous on on myspace yeah Hmm. like a hot myspace person that everyone followed anyway sorry that was a digression no 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 but you you have is what you're saying yeah okay (laughs) well anyway i don't know it's just i was never that hot myspace person right okay so and i don't and i don't consider myself I wasn't very like popular in high school mm. necessarily. Um, so it's, it's kind of, I guess it's interesting to write when you, to write something on Twitter and post it out there. And if it gets like, it's kind of crazy if it gets like 60 likes, you know, yeah, I'm like, Holy right, right, shit. Right. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, and we can move on from Twitter specifically, but I guess like, are public facing spaces, especially like, mm. I guess just moving forward. And like, as we age too, I, I really don't think that the way that I was told social media will be from like us as we get older. Um, and I, I'm curious to run this idea by you that I've been talking to some friends about is like, are we inevitably going to be like our parents who like were up with technology and then they had kids and then they just kind of like had fragments here and there, but like, that's kind of it. Like we as millennials, like, I think are clearly like the last generation where like we have an attachment to like what a V what a VCR is, but then like are like making sub stacks with, you know, with vigor, we're being able to like very fluidly move into those environments and like kind of be with them. Cause I, I've, I've been like, I think everyone struggled in the millennial space of like, Gen Z and TikTok and like, are we getting behind? And like, we feel so old being on TikTok and what that means. And by no means am I going to begin some sort of like anti-Gen Z space because they're figuring it out too, just like we did. And again, there's plenty of cringy stuff that we posted, but like, I guess I just want to ask that question to you. Like, how have you felt as someone who has been online facing, especially as an artist for now over 10 years, like, do you feel like you're even more connected? Like 15 years. Well, like 15 years, right. Like, yeah. 
do you see yourself ever being less connected as, as a public facing artist in the tech space? Well, I think what's worth uh, mentioning about my Substack is that I do only have like 23 subscribers mm. and I'm really into that. And I, I kind of want to not care as much about how many likes I get or how many views I get. Yeah. I, I, it, I do still care about an audience, uh, as I was saying before, but I really, ultimately, if I, if I take a step back and look at why I make work, it's because I just want to share it with my friends. Right. Um, and so it's kind of nice for me to have the Substack space because it's a little trickier to find. It's a little, you can't just, you know, scroll on social media and, read the whole thing, right? You, like you said, you have to click outside to a different tab or whatever, find a different right. website. Um, that's not a social media website that you can't just, you can't just stumble upon it. Um, and I kind of like that. I think I am kind of maybe going a little bit more towards that, you know, privacy place, but as far as like, will I still be on social media forever? Um, probably so, but I, I just, I don't know how I'm a kind of a nostalgic person though. Mm, yeah. And so I, I do, I don't know, like I haven't gotten into TikTok, like as far as I don't, okay. I don't have a TikTok account, Yes. but I watch TikToks constantly <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah. I follow like, um, a couple of incredibly curated Instagram yes. accounts that post TikToks. And that is how I like to watch them. And I love it and I enjoy it. So I think I will just always enjoy social media, but maybe I won't, you know, be the most trendy person about it. I don't know. You won't necessarily be on every single app, but you'll still interface with it inevitably. Yeah. But yeah, the Substack is nostalgic. It does. It it even kind of looks like Zanga to me. Like it's just, I don't know. I, I kind of am wanting more intimate communities instead of these like, sorry if you can hear my dog going crazy. Oh, um, yeah. Instead of these like Twitter communities that is, that is like thousands of people. Yeah. Um, it's harder to be, to really hear each other. Right. Right. Well, and I, I think like, I don't know. I just, I, I, one of my mission statements of like wanting to talk to you is just like, feel like Dealey just gets it in terms of like the space of more breadth and allowing people to like really interact with it. And that's why I am so excited about spaces like Substack or whatever. And I swear this isn't an ad for them. I don't, <laughs> we don't get any money from this, but we're really hyping it. <laughs> um, but I just, I think it's exciting, you know, and I, I think that that's something that, um, you know, like Patreon models or something like that of being mm-hmm. able to do these micro spaces of, of, paying money and uh, which I, I would like to view more as like I'm giving you back the energy that you gave me like I've enjoyed this so much like I want you to continue to do this even if it means like you just go buy a coffee or something um, right. and obviously there's flaws with all this but whatever um, so I guess this is still in the social media realm but more about back to your writing I feel like this year obviously for many reasons a lot of people are trying the once a day thing and you have now mm. done this twice. And I'm curious on that realm of like shots on goal every single day. And I think kind of the faux pas of it is like 
actually, if you do it every, oh, I don't, faux pas is not the right word, but like, if you actually do it every day, it's kind of annoying, actually. Like, it actually, like, people don't really want you to succeed, not because they don't, <laughs> they don't want to see you succeed, but like, it's actually more fun if you don't, I think, in a way. And I'm, I'm curious, that's, that's kind of like the way I felt about it. Like a friend of mine, a, a coworker was doing like a video, like a, a short film a day. And then some of it was like literally like three seconds of like, you know, a pigeon on the street. And then the next day was like a minute and a half, like beautiful, like s- sequence of something. And like, even that inevitably cool. became like, oh, I took six days off, but then I posted six videos on one day you know so it was still this kind of like i'm trying to keep up with it but you know we're talking about like you have teachers and 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 a public to be accountable and all this stuff but now it's like you're accountable to yourself in a public space in with like a daily task like what is the daily like you've clearly wanted to do it twice so why why revisit it in 2020 yeah it's it's really strange right that i wanted to write every day again in 2020 and then you know, a couple months later, it was the pandemic. And, you know, maybe I'll be an old lady someday and think it's really fucking cool that I have writing of mine every day, almost every day of that year. I actually didn't write every day. I, you know, during the George Floyd uprising and all of that, I felt like my writing was really not needed on the feed Mm. um I didn't want people to have to scroll past my like I'm walking down the street like type of thing (laughs) to have to like get to how to give money to mutual aid you know what I mean and so I stopped for a while and I think a lot of writers were having this kind of crisis where they're like why are why do we do this like who cares (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. um so I stopped for a while and I came back to it, but I never really got back into the groove as I was for the first like half of the year. Um, but I really, it's really great. Like I love when I look back at my 2014 writing every day and that was, you know, a while ago and I have grown a lot as a writer since then, but there's some, there's some good stuff in there. (laughs) Um, I think it just goes back to the idea I was saying before about having big spaces to work in. Um, because you can just keep going and going and going. And eventually like something that you say is going to be a golden nugget, even if the rest of it is like a piece of shit, you know? Um, and just, I think it's really important. It not, you know, not everybody should write every day. Like it's not everybody's style, but for me, accumulating a lot has always been important. I think I also have a fear of, missing my life Hmm. and that has also been um a motivational factor i'm and my um partner dylan schnitker has this we like talk about this constantly we just are so scared of losing our memories and so he's constantly constantly filming and i am not constantly constantly writing as much as, as he has filmed stuff but i you know I want to be, I like, I don't want to, to lose things that have happened to me, you know? Absolutely. Well, and, and I think like, you know, I, I, I very consistent trend on spaces like TikTok and Twitter and whatever. It's like the, the new terminology is like, Oh, a memory unlocked. And it's like mm. a picture of some like baked good from when you were a kid and you're like, I completely forgot about that. And um, 
but like looking back <laughs> to these things is kind of like I, I don't know. It's like it's uh, I I keep returning to this Radio Lab episode where they talked about how your memories are actually just like like mm. fabrications of memories. Yeah. Like you don't actually have stored memories that doesn't exist. You have your chemicals in your brain like trying to refabricate it as much as you can. So like uh-huh. memories just don't exist except that. And it's like I can't <laughs> do that, Radio Lab. Thank you. I really can't. Yeah. So in that case, it's like the only true way we can do that is documentation, whether that be writing mm-hmm. or with, with video or film or something. And like kind of putting that out of your mind a little bit, like give ourselves the ease with this technology that we have, whether it be blogs or whatever, that we can be like, I'm just going to say this, not have to remember it and put it out in the world. And then inevitably see it again, probably reinterpret it at least a little bit, but being like, oh my God, I completely forgot that I used to feel mm-hmm. this way or do that stuff. So it's like- yeah use these instruments as, as tools to kind of aid our memory. And then I guess too, like, I wonder if like any pieces you read from your 2014 stuff as you were writing in 2020, did that like, did you find links or connections across that space? Or like, had you like completely not looked at the 2014 one prior to that moment? Yeah, I did go back a couple times. Cause it was like, if I was, I was like, would be stuck couldn't think of what to write for that day. So I'll be like, well, let's see what I was writing on this day in 2014. Yeah. Um, oh, and so cool. yeah, no, it is cool. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I was just thinking about all of this because I was, I've been trying to generate ideas because I, my freaking mentor, Jenny, she was freaking me out. Cause she said, <laughs> you're going to be, she was like, Delia, you just finished this project. And if you don't have a new project after, you are going to be depressed. Oh and I was God. like, oh, you're probably right. Um, so I started the Substack, but I'm also thinking about new projects. And um, I also have a lot of diaries from high school and middle school that aren't online. They are completely private in my closet, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, well, I have a lot of writing from... I also, okay, I love the um, on this day fe- feature on Instagram. Yes. I look at it every day. It's incredible. It's, and yeah, I mean, yeah. Just to see what I've, been, I've posted yeah. on this day three years ago, yes. four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of in that mindset of like, what if I like saw what I was writing on this day, you know, in 2020 and 2014, but also in like 2008. Right. You know? I don't know what will come of that, but it was an interesting thought. Well, and I, I think um, too, like seeing like even the like visual aesthetics of these things, like I'm, I'm looking at your 2014 Tumblr of this stuff. And like, I love that an element of it is the squiggly lines of, I'm assuming either Google or word at that time. So like if something is misspelled, like it was word, it was word. Okay. So, but like, there's so much green. So I guess because like they're questioning the grammar of it yeah it was like not capitalizing stuff or whatever right um and and that inevitably is like screenshot the screenshot was my my style for sure oh and i love it and like it is it all is very consistently pixelated in like the very correct way which i think is so good but like working with the medium of the time which i don't know if that's how you felt about it but like Cause I guess you could have exported it and then as like a PDF, then screenshot it. So I guess I'm asking like, is that just a moment of like, I just want to, I just, this is raw. This is real. This is what this, 
technology is saying to me as I do it. it I, I imagine it's probably as simple as that, but I'm curious if there was anything more to that. Uh, yeah, I just like the way it looked, like visually, like it, it's almost like you're looking at my computer screen as I'm composing it and it's totally just unedited. Like, I don't really know. It just became like some something about that dust, the squigglies. And I, I just really liked the way it looked. And, you know, something, were you around in Columbia when I had me and Jesse Hicks and Dom um, had this big art show and Alex, Alex Boussier was there too. And we printed, I printed out some poems from that project because I was in, it was in 2014 and I printed them out on glossy paper and like taped them to the wall of Jesse's attic. I and it was there. an art show. Yes. I was, I was <laughs> like, I remember an attic. And as soon as you said attic, I was like, yes, I have been there. Cause I also say like 2014 was definitely like my, my Como era for sure. So yeah. I absolutely was there. Yes. But it was like, I just like the way it was like, it became more than just, you know, a, a poem. It is, it's like an art object, you know, it's, right. it's, there's something, you know, internet girl aesthetic about it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Me and Jesse, we just made so much internet art at Mizzou. There was a grad student there who was like, I remember under their breath, they were just like, well, these when will these girls stop making art about the internet? And me and Jesse were like. <laughs> <laughs> As Never. if that's like not the most relevant topic to this day, my God. Yeah. Um, that's so funny. I, I think like, I don't know, again, like, I don't mean to harp on this, but like the, on this day, being able to see these kind of archival things that are mm -hmm. public facing, I think is so interesting. Um, and I, I, I just, I, I want to not be dependent on these things, but there really is kind of like a beautiful tool aspect. And like, I don't want to knock myself or anyone else who feels like a comfort knowing that this exists because mm -hmm. like the narrative of, of archiving, especially is, is rooted very much in like the olden times, you know, you have to like scan old family photos to make them digital. Is that not us recreating a digital image of those things and then us putting them on uh on on hard drives external hard drives so like this mm. is our public facing external hard drive is you know uh, a tumblr page from 2014 our instagram on this day is like facebook does an equivalent thing that like that always pops up and i'm like oh my god mm -hmm. i forgot and my like truly like i will go to the very 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 beginnings of like my facebook posts that are just truly nonsensical because i've been on facebook i think since 20 20 2005 yeah Maybe, or six and there's totally. really some stuff there that i'm like i don't it's know bad happening. dude yeah, it's, it's so bad, bad <laughs> over there i don't want to go there no like, it's bad don't my go. facebook statuses from early high school like yes. if i say i have a particular voice now in my writing online like my particular voice then was like a whole other <laughs> like bonkers language that i just it's so embarrassing i need to delete everything i think but. and that's but that's what i love is like no one can find that because like actually going back in time on people's timelines is extremely hard i feel like yeah and you then, have to really scroll right and then i also am like there's no other uh social media that i have used that i've used for so long i don't really use facebook anymore but like having yeah. those abilities to check in with those things i think can be really um i don't know i just think really beneficial 
Well, if um, someone wants to cancel us, they actually will <laughs> probably scroll through everything. I, I will say I, I, I've yet to come across something that's like truly problematic, but I have come across things I'm like, hmm, not hyped on. Yeah, I think thing. I'm, I think if I'm going to be, if I'm ever going to be more public than I am now, I'm yeah. going to have to go back yeah. and do some cleanup for yes. sure. No, not I, like, I'm not saying like, no, no, just, no, no, no goof goofy shit that i don't know <sighs> yeah i just well, it, even like it feels so silly to think that like 2006 2005 like weird like sexual jokes that yeah. aren't cool you know right. but we were kids we're babies you know so let's let's we can bear that in mind please everyone don't cancel us we promise <laughs> it's really not that bad it's not worth looking into um <laughs> i'm like <laughs> no <laughs> Please don't. I don't know why we've decided to put ourselves in this position. Um, <laughs> I So we've gone this long. We've been in this chat for some time. We have not mentioned music really at all once because that's, I think, oh my God. most. But I do want to bring this up mostly because I noticed that you have a new record that you came out with uh, <laughs> as of it looks like. Bear with me here. November 20th of last year. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's called Chance Machine. Um and I love that. I love in the title, you go, hi, I'm releasing a little album today. This idea of just like the little thing, like the little thing that is impossibly large because albums are so big, like collections. Like, I feel like even the smallest like chat book is like actually a massive undertaking mm. and takes many hours. So I guess, where are you feeling? Where are you musically these days? Like how, like compared to, I don't know when, because like, I guess to, again, like we've known each other for over 10 years and mostly in the music space and just playing music stuff. Speaking of cringe that I've revisited even like as of like last weekend, uh, a friend of mine and I did a, a YouTube dive of like, mm. what comes up when you like YouTube your name, like specifically YouTube and like oh, shit. some of the stuff I've unearthed was just like, why did I think with this like 15 minute ambient set that someone wanted to hear that guitar riff for 15 minutes? Why did I do that to everyone? <laughs> you know, at a pop records, uh, RIP. Um, so I guess that sounds like, fucking amazing to me. <laughs> it was really exciting to see. And again, like this, like unlocked memory thing of like, you know, Steven and Graham, they shot all these videos for us. Uh, yeah. our, our friends in St. Louis, um, that. that that was so exciting to kind of revisit. Um, so I guess where are you these days with, with your music, especially like, as you've been focusing on writing so much academically and professionally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, it's a little, it's can be kind of a touchy subject for me because I did put music on the back burner um, while I was living here in Chicago to focus on my writing. And I wasn't really playing music for a while. And I was feeling really bummed out about it. Like we had our like last dub nub show before I moved and um, which, you know, it's not true. Like we're going to keep playing shows and um you know, that's a really old band. <laughs> that's, yes, no, you know, it is, yeah. It's, um, but just kind of like I've been saying, like, it just, think, shit just keeps going. Like, it just keeps right. going and going and going. So I have felt really depressed about music in the past couple years, but I'm kind of at a more optimistic point now where, you know, I know that even, like, we've just had a whole year we, we didn't see shows, right? Right. And even in that year, you know, I decided you know I'm just gonna record some of my songs I've been working on and put out this thing 
and I, I called it my little my little album you yes. know <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a uh coping mechanism for rejection I guess because I'm just like I don't know if anyone's actually gonna listen to this but you know I, I put it out there for my for myself and for my friends and it's music is really still a big part of who I am and always will be and Absolutely. it's really a therapeutic art form that it's different from writing an essay. It's, you know, so much more action of your body and your, your voice. And um, yeah, music's incredible. I'm, I think where I'm at with music is right now. I mean, I put out that little out al- that little album <laughs> and then I was kind of like, well, I guess I'm not going to write another song for a while. Um, but I still, you know, I've, I like been fucking around, you know, you know, I've been like, playing my little Chad Van Galen covers all the time. Um, But, you know, I'm a huge, I'm kind of like in fan mode constantly. I'm always just loving my friends' bands, trying to pump up my friends. And I just can't wait to go back to shows because that's just like also where I'm in my element is like standing at the front right next to the stage when my friends are playing shows i just can't wait to be back there um but yeah i don't know i I think music i i I texted i don't know i text hannah the other day be like hey hey i was practicing some of our old songs like maybe we'll play some shows soon and she was like yeah cool so (laughs) you know it's just it's it'll happen i guess yeah well i i really appreciate you saying that it's like kind of like a touchy subject that maybe you feel a little sensitive about because that's exactly how I've felt about uh, yeah. particularly my music output. Cause I've wrestled a lot with like, I feel like I identified as a musician, like almost always first and foremost. And I guess yeah, same that space changing, like I do a podcast now, you know, which feels so good to express myself in this different way. But like, I've really gotten into photography in the last like two years yeah. or so. And that's been like this open and completely new world to me of like the visual realm. Like I never, I I didn't, I didn't realize that I had never really allowed myself to venture into other spaces that I kind of kept to music. But at the same time, I do think there is like a sort of loss that I have felt exploring these other avenues. Cause I'm not just like, I'm not just focused in one space. Um, Mm. I will say, I, I, I think this is just fun for like creative output of like, I've done a lot of like technical music stuff. Like I've gotten a lot of guitars fixed that's felt really nice. <laughs> so anyone out there who like needs to restring a guitar, please do it. It will change your life. Like just, I went down to Chicago <laughs> music exchange here. It was a little more than I anticipated, but I got good strings and like just having your, your shit, like just sound good is just like next level. Like I feel like it's like today's weather was like 78 in Chicago, which is like the first in like, I think our first 78 day, certainly like high, almost like 80s. it was hot and it just feels like drugs it feels unbelievable yeah. so i'm saying that when your guitar is like tuned perfectly it's yes. like <gasps> and clean and i don't and i don't mean to get like the tone yeah <laughs> that tone man like you get your amp cranked you know you just oh man you know but in the very like ethereal it's, it's em- emotional space of like you don't have to compete with your physical object of an instrument you can just be with you i think mm. that there's like a symmetry of that so anyway that's a side moment um <laughs> I guess like I kind of want to like make a bridge here and I think this might be our our last little subject uh just to okay. not be on here all night but I um, manage me please yes we'll just talk forever so I 
wanted to talk about this because I feel like um, I had, well, okay. Well, first and foremost, you and Hannah are, what are your signs again? You're Gemini's, right? Because you're both yeah. twins, right? Duh. So it's like Gemini twins. Gemini twins. What a concept. So, like, I f- do you know the extended portions of your chart? I have to know. At least, is there some oh water God. in your chart? You're, you, you are Denise right now. <laughs> I have my mom you're right now. So hard. But I, I, I swear it's for a purpose. <laughs> okay. I'm going to fuck this up. Okay. Um, I, th- I know we have Capricorn in there Okay. and I know we have, um, it's either, I think it's Aquarius or Taurus. Oh my God. I can't do this. I'm, I okay. don't remember. It's totally fine. I just, I was curious if you had any water in your chart, if, th- if that sounds familiar, because ironically Aquarius is air sign, but not, it's not water. But yeah. the reason why I asked is one of the reasons, one of the things I literally wrote down, uh, this is what I have here being sensitive, crying, how to do that as an adult, listening to cry pile music. So I feel like our, our, mm-hmm. our music that you and I grew up listening to, mm. I think was very much in this, like, I would say I would, you know, level to say like indie sphere in the classic, like 2007, eight to like, let's say to 2015 to kind of give us a space, maybe even a little earlier than that, like the or high school years, like 2006 to 10. And then college years to like 2014 that like that kind of music and being sensitive. I feel like I've always felt a kinship to the way you've felt your music. Like mm-hmm. you love Chad Van Galen. I love Chad Van Galen. And I imagine mm-hmm. the reason why is because his voice makes you cry because the music he produces is so tender yet such so like freaky and like raw. Uh-huh. It feels like feral. And by the way, he has a new album out. Everyone, please go check it out. It's oh. incredible as all of his records are. And I also feel like Chad Van Galen is incredibly under under appreciated. So for sure, he's Canadian. What's not to love? That's why he's so good. Anyway, um, I guess like and and this being the last part of like the Twitter sphere is you you had this tweet of. Uh, I just seriously, it it blew my mind when I saw this. It reads, screw American football. This is the true house on an album cover that I know. I will be honest with you. I completely forget what the joke is. I guess like, was that like, let's like, what if we kissed, you know, ooh, ooh, whatever, like at the American football house? Or like, do you remember what the meme was? I'm kind of forgetting what the meme was. It's. I don't think this one was really based on an outsider meme. I just kind of thought of it because I was listening to that Yola Tango album and looking at the beautiful house in the dark. Right. And I was just like, why does every, why, why doesn't this get any attention? There's (laughs) that one house and suburban house that everyone fucking loves and who fuck the music's not I can't even tell you one song by that band, you know? Yes. Okay. So I just want to say Dynamics of is a very anti-American football uh, <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so expect the slander. We're here for this. Because um, I just, yeah, I do feel like a lot of people were talking about the album cover, American football mm-hmm. with all that stuff. And like, I just didn't, I missed that moment entirely. Um, so like Yola Tango, yeah. when you posted that, like Yola Tango is one of my favorite bands in the world. And I imagine yours as well. I feel like they speak to this like, very emotional space and especially mm-hmm. this album which is so dearly posted a uh, uh, the album cover of and nothing turned itself inside out which i like to think if that's your favorite yola tango record then you're like a little crybaby that loves to be emotional and you're okay with it so i'm i'm curious like what is it about this album 
like then and now like what did what did like this kind of music mean to you then and then where how is it like revisiting it these days or have you like kind of kept up with it over time okay well if anyone everyone who knows me knows that I still listen to all the music I listened to in high school just <laughs> constantly and I and I don't want to be ashamed of that um yeah. you know I still leave I and I listen to it on my iPod from 2008 you wow. know I'm just all in for early indie music and I don't know I didn't Yolo Tango that kind of that that album I think is kind of older I, I didn't get into it until I don't even know man but mm-hmm. I wasn't I don't think I was listening to Yolo Tango super hard in high school okay but I have you had this experience where like during quarantine all you just want to listen to you know old albums from your past and just re- feel really emotional about it yeah i yes and i will say like i i think it was very vehemently against like guitar music at all once it was like 2014 15 16 that's when I was like (laughs) electronic music only and I was getting into DJing and like techno and stuff like I literally could not listen to a song with guitar in it and then Mm -hmm. now I'm like wait rock rules again like for me so like I've been revisiting rock does (laughs) roll I love rock so like I I've like been revisiting TV on the radio a lot oh shit and like that has felt really good but then also like like experiencing like Elliot Smith, but like kind of in a, a, like more like, I don't know, it feels different. So to answer your question, yes, I have been absolutely. And Mm -hmm. it has been within the last like year or two. So I would say it was starting to really happen pre COVID, but then obviously during COVID it really happened. And I feel like in the last six months for for sure, I've been like, what did I hear in those things? You know, like Sufjan, for instance, like seven swans, like what did, what have I missed in that album that I haven't heard in like you know, eight years or something, let's say. I love listening to Seven Swans and I'm instantly, I'm transported to a bunch of places. I'm transported to my bedroom at my parents' house, uh, like laying in bed alone. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sometimes, sometimes I'm transported to um, Connor Waldman's house. I don't know, <laughs> like lots of places, <laughs> but dude, yeah, it's crazy. I've been here in my household. We've been listening to, a lot of foals oh and that is great that and first record yes i i had very much a moment with for sure it's it's really good to re-listen and okay. then i've been re-listening to no age a lot too so that's my recommendations to you all just really thrashy like ugh, like angsty stuff yes. is it feels good feels like how i feel inside totally well and Damn. i imagine there was like especially I'm so glad you said no age because I feel like that's like a band that like I I aspired to so much like they were in the space but they were punk but they were rock and like what was so fun I think too is like people that listen to that it's like oh so you're a deer hunter fan too right oh so you're like there's like a translation to that it's like oh you're this you know and I don't feel like that culture exists anymore in some way mm-hmm. like that those were very like, I feel like kids that like w- knew about Criterion and all this stuff and like watching like Gen Z be into like American football and learning how to play that instead of like Yola Tango, mm. in which I feel like is, I don't think you're calling out Gen Z per, per se, but like 
that kind of space of like, I can, what we can, sure. Like, I would love to see what Gen Z does with Yola Tango or Sufjan right. or whatever. And like, I don't know. Wait, if- can I intercut really please, quickly? Please. This reminds me of a tweet I saw that said, Gen Z would love Passion Pit. <laughs> <laughs> so true. It literally sounds like, like, I feel like an extension of like Charlie XCX, like hyper pop space for sure. Yeah, It's so fun. Wow. That is the truth. So Gen Z, go listen to Passion Pit. You'll love it. Um, so I don't really know what I'm getting to. I guess just like being emotional as an adult and listening to, mm. as I'm going to give my dad credit here, he called it cry pile music. So like I'd play Sufjan in the car. He's like, you and your friends, like in your little bands, like, do you guys just listen to this and just like cry in a big pile on top of each other? And we're like, shut up, dad. It's good music. It's cool. You know, and he'll play you too, which I have. Oh, I get a cry pile, like yes, like a pile of crying people. Yes, exactly. Um, I forget that like most people don't know what that makes sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. So thank you for having me to explain that. Um, and like so, I grew up (laughs) listening to a lot of like you two and a lot of eighties music, which of course I've like definitely Wilco dad id a bit as I approach thirty. So like I'm like, wow, gonna really listen to this again. Um, how yeah, how are you? how are you interacting with this, the sadder music of your youth as an adult now? I don't know. I guess just still interacting with it. <laughs> just, it's the same. Is it still feel the same or does it feel different at all? I mean, sometimes I worry that I listen to, you know, like I, I listen to like the, the Michigan Sufjan album too yeah. much or something. If I listen to it too much, then I won't get that emotional um, you know, feeling that intensity that I used to feel when I used to listen to it back in the day. And so sometimes I feel like, oh, well, I have to, to bring the iPod in as like a a tangible thing. Like I have to take it off the iPod for a while so that I don't get too, you know, numb to it, I guess. But I listen to, I'm, I'm kind of like a night owl, and always kind of have been, I, and I write a lot at night and I really like to listen to really sad albums late at night alone. I also like to watch really sad documentaries late <laughs> at night alone. Um, I don't know. I, I just like to, I think it gets me in this kind of like drony, like headspace, like uh, contemplative headspace, I guess. I don't know. I listen, I've been listening to like, also been kind of like on a smog Bill Callahan thing. And I've probably listened to Arthur Russell the whole time I wrote my thesis. Wow. Um, Which can get a little more like dancey. Yeah. Which is good. Totally. But, um, and Deer Hunter, I got into Deer Hunter back into Deer Hunter hardcore during Mm -hmm. quarantine, but I don't know. It's, I feel like trying to like explain why I love indie music so much is kind of just like, well, you know why? Right. Yeah. It just, it's, it's nostalgic. And I wonder, I wonder how much of of an element that is to it is, it's just something that I listened to back in the day. And that's why it sounds so good to me. I don't know. Well, and I, I think, I'm running this against like, well, Hey, first of all, I want to say just so I don't forget, like you saying you've done limited uh, listens to those albums of the past, just to like maintain that like emotion that you felt when you heard it. I am going to take that as very clear advice. Cause like, I'd never really thought about that. And that is definitely something I'm worried about. I removing. need to do it. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I, I, need to, will, I need to listen to my own advice. That is extremely... I listen to Chicago by Sufjan one more time, yeah. I think. <laughs> it's over. It's just going to be like... It'll get rebranded. My... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I, I think like what we we tend... like I feel like our generation tends to associate with like nostalgic music is like our parents listening to something from like 20, 30 years ago, whereas we're talking about music from 10 years ago. And like, yeah. I feel so distant from that time, yet it literally was 10, 11, 12 years ago. And that's such a small amount of time uh, relative to right. like anyone's age, especially when we're in our like late 20s, like early 30s. That that means that that was half again of our life ago, basically, or a third, I guess, accurately. Um, so I feel like it feels so weird to me to feel like this, like, Oh, oh shucks like nostalgia it's like that wasn't that long ago so why am I feeling yeah. this weird like shame with the fact that it feels like nostalgic like why is it that's what we think of it as like nostalgic necessarily and maybe that's just know. a statement I think you don't have to feel ashamed and like I think something that you're listening to a couple months ago can make you feel nostalgic, right? Yes. Like definitely. it's just that you're missing a time that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then experiencing, experiencing it again in a new time. Um, but you're still your same self. It's, it's just a, such an intense feeling, right? For sure. Um, another band I'll name drop another band sure. is um, Berlin whale, which is a St. Louis God. band. And there's wow. another, there's just another factor to that of it being like, you know, like this is the local band that yeah. I saw in St. Louis as a teen, you know, um, that is just makes it, and you know, that's just, it's also, you know, kind of like a thrashy, like emo-y band, but like, sure. like math rock band, but so it can feel like emotional in that way, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I think like I'm realizing too, is a lot of the music that I listened to as a young adult was still like kind of adult in a way that like I can listen to it at, at 29 now and feel like, oh, this is extremely cool and relevant still. Like I wasn't into what would be considered like young, youthful, like, like teen music. Like I didn't really have an mm. emo phase necessarily where like when I was in my space, like I didn't participate in that to where I look back on it now being like, wow, that's so different. I am not that person anymore who listens to millionaires or something, you know, like <laughs> I, I am very much like Yola Tango. When I'm at that show, all of the, as I've said, Wilco dads are also at that show too. And so right. are these kids. So I'm just like, I guess now as a 30 year old, almost that like going to a Yola Tango show, who's there now? And like, who is there a, a younger generation? And I, mm. I, I, I think there will be, and I think only time will tell. And the only way we can do that is to go to a Yellow Tango show. So um, <laughs> here's Will, yeah. here's, you know, God willing to that, but. Um, wow. I'm trying to think, I was like, I haven't seen Yellow Tango, but I remember I, I saw it built to spill mm. at the ready room. Do you ever just go to a show and it's just, it's just like all like older couples, like making out the whole time. <laughs> I'm just, I, I worry about that, about all the shows I'm going to be going to in the future. But yeah. And you might be that adult. If it's like a famous band like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's possible. Yeah. I, I, I can't think of one right now, but I, I've definitely been in that space where I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's happening here. And I feel a little strange <laughs> and I don't know if I want to, but 
Um, okay. Well, I think we covered just about everything I could possibly ask of you. So I, I appreciate we we talked about Twitter for a lot longer than I expected, but I think we really got somewhere with that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, you know, I guess this is a podcast and we have to do plugs and stuff or whatever, but like, uh, what is, what is, what is next for Delia? What are you looking forward to even in like the next week, whenever, how are you feeling? What's, what's next for you? Um, well, I'm trying to put out a sub stack once a week. So look out for that. It's, you can subscribe. It's basically like a newsletter that goes into your email and maybe it'll go into your spam, but just make sure you find it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can find it at, it's just deliarainey.substack.com and the blog is called Archival Tendencies and maybe you can link it. Oh, if, you, if sure. I don't know. It's, it's it's really casual. Like y'all don't even have to subscribe. I don't care, but okay. <laughs> that's that's what I'll be working on in the next week and and maybe editing my thesis for the final due date for that and then who fucking knows man who fucking knows <laughs> i'm going to be moving back to st louis in july wow and um hopefully going back to shows slowly mm-hmm. i don't really know how that's going to work and i don't know what is to come of my writing but uh, stay tuned i guess stay tuned. you know <laughs> Well, I I think uh, in terms of shows and community, you would be moving south. So I'd like to think that you would get at least like an extra week or two of warm weather. So at least if we can do like outdoor shows, which I think will, that's, that feels safe to me, like distance, maybe mass outside, like even, even if everyone's vaccinated, like we can still do that. Um, I was in the park a few days ago um, up here in Winnemac Park, kind of on the north side. And there was like this blues band playing and I couldn't tell if it was like someone listening to live music in their car or not. And they like, kind of mm-hmm. like walk over the, this like little hill and I like behind these bushes and there's like a full band. And yeah, I was kind of anticipating like what that would feel like when I finally see live music for the first time, even in passing. Cause I was, I was literally walking my car and it was I, like I, accidentally I, soft live music again. Right. And it, it definitely felt, I felt nothing, which makes me think like, I'm bound for a very serious and visceral experience coming forward that like, oh, for sure. that it was like very much like a mirage or something. Something was like, this is, mm. I don't know what this is about. Like feeling like a you kick your drum. brain can't process I, it. I was like, I'm not even, and I also admit, and I'm sorry if my grandparents was like, I was a little high. So that didn't help probably. <laughs> I don't know why I just let everyone know that, but um that probably we're in help. nonfiction vulnerable space i know here. i'm i'm learning now. I this, wow this public facing space um so yeah <laughs> here's to um that sounds wonderful and i am so excited to see what comes of all of this stuff and especially you being reunited with the fam and your sister and like the, the st louis community and um chicago yeah really it's gonna be you, awesome you know? but yeah for sure so yeah uh, I'm a, i love chicago and i'll be it's just an Amtrak right away, man. I'll That's be true. back. That's right. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, again, everyone, I'll have uh, I'll have everyone all your all your links and stuff, and especially like the tweet. And <laughs> we have to have the tweet. Oh my uh, god! So people can uh, keep the the vi- virality of it going. But um, thank you, Delia. This was so much fun. Uh, you're my third thank guest, you. yeah. so I appreciate you being here this early in the in the the deal. 
I'm so honored that you asked me. It's very sweet. And it's just nice to catch up with you. Yeah. And no, absolutely. hope we can see each other soon. Absolutely. For sure.